Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek, a Star Trek Discovery podcast, an unofficial podcast about the CBS All Access series, Star Trek Discovery. Today, guys, we're going to talk about the fifth episode of Star Trek Discovery Season 2, entitled Saints of Imperfection. Like always, I'm your host, Clarence, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Slash Trekkies, starting with none other than the Who Story himself, Cal Jones. How you doing, man? I am very good. I'm glad to have you back live on the show with us, and I am ready to talk about this episode. Very good. I'm glad to be here. Cool beans. Also on the podcast tonight, we have the trick historian, Jonathan Schwartz. How you doing, man? I am fantastically well. I am excited about this episode, and there's a lot of great stuff I want to unpack. And I agree with Kyle. I'm glad to have you live and in color with us today. <laughs> <laughs> and last but certainly not least, we have the Stargate story in Jeremy Barrow. How you doing, man? I am, as always, gl- uh, glad to be here. Like Jonathan Kyle, I'm glad you're back with us live and, and in proper audio form. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, hiccups last week, but thank thank goodness we got through that <laughs> one way or another. <laughs> uh, guys, so what we do here on this podcast is review each and every episode of Star Trek Discovery in somewhat excessive detail in addition to talking all things Trek. So if you're listening right now, you're listening through some outlet. Somehow you found this podcast. We thank you for coming along. And all we ask really is you just hit that subscribe button on whatever pa- podcast platform you're listening on. We surely do appreciate it. And also, if you'd like the show, tell a friend. That's all we ask. So, guys, I don't have any news, but I'll throw it out to you guys real quick. Any news uh, Trek related uh, that we want to talk about real quick? Uh, nothing in super important. There's a rumor. Well, there's a rumor that uh, Whoopi Goldberg may be interested in bringing back the Guinan character in the new series with Picard. Yes, yes. Funny you would mention that because uh that rumor actually originated, I believe, from the David Tennant podcast. Is that correct? I'm uh, not real sure. Maybe Kyle knows more you, information. I think you're right because after we talked about that podcast on our last discussing who, I went back this weekend and and listened to all of the the you know David Tennant does a podcast with, and r- if you have not listened to that, go listen to it. Because the Whoopi Goldberg, uh, by hands down, amazing uh, interview of how she first got into Star Trek. So kudos. Go listen to that. Very good. So I think you're right, Clarence. Yes. And not to completely spoil that interview, which you should listen to the second episode of David Tennant does a podcast with dot 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 um, fill in the blank of the actor he's interviewing that week. But it it, it talks about how she went to. I guess she was friends with LeVar Burton first, and she said that she wanted to be on Star Trek. She was like right. a, a huge Uhura fan. And, um, she just talked about how that representation of, of, uh, her as a black actor on television at the time impacted her so much. So just, just a great conversation. And I think she is, says she's the last character that Gene Roddenberry wrote. Because he wrote that character for her particularly, because she asked to be on the show. So, wow. you know, she was a big movie star at the time. So it was kind of in a time where you didn't see a lot of movie stars on television, and she kind of just wanted to be on the show so bad. She said, I- I- "I'll do whatever I need to do to be on the show," and it's kind of awesome. So, definitely check that out. Uh, a very great episode with her and David Tennant. You know, and we should we should kind of do like a, a mini mini episode about her character like that she's one of my favorite star trek characters. like she ranks up there with cisco and data and like and just the intrigue of her history as a character guinan's history and like there's not really much known yeah like roddenberry did a great job writing that that character in at the last minute i didn't know he did so that's awesome and and she survived over so many, so long of a time. <laughs> yes. Like she's been around. That, I mean, that might actually play into discovery wow. here soon. Yeah. And I know we're going to get into the whole tachyon discussion, but man, right. I, I kind of had, you know, ideas about that. 
Uh, but 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 yeah, just just awesome stuff from her. And I I think we should just go ahead and jump into the episode. What do you guys think? Hey, let's, let's go, go for it. So we are <laughs> War Five because this is the the olden days. Uh, right. <laughs> we're here to talk about Star Trek Discovery: Saints of Imperfection, Series Two, Episode Five, which aired on Valentine's Day, twenty nineteen. Valentine's Val- Valentine Day. 2019, directed by David Barrett, which also directed Magic to Make the Saints Man Go Mad from last season. Burnham and the crew investigate a dangerous alien landscape in the race against time to save Tilly's life, but Stamets is not at all prepared for what they find in the process. Section 31 is assigned to help track down Spock, much to Pike's dismay. So let's go around the horn and get general thoughts on this episode. And I'm going to send this to Jeremy to start us off. What are your thoughts on the episode, man? I, I, this this season just keeps getting stronger and stronger, and um, you know, I, I think I mentioned last year, last last season, that you know, you generally the first season of Star Trek is like the weakest season, and season two it really starts to find its own voice, and this is more and more becoming true every episode they put out. And now, with that being said, it wasn't my favorite episode of the season so far, but it's still getting stronger and stronger as we go. Awesome. What about you, John? Uh, man, listen, this is what I'm here for. Like the, the, these first few episodes have been like what I've expected from a new trick series. Uh, this episode, it, it, it had some parts that I didn't really like, but it had some parts that like blew me away that I would like. Oh man, like a little boy in a candy store or a toy <laughs> store. I, I just like, I mean, I geeked out for a lot of this episode. So, uh, man, I, I can't wait. Like, if it's this good in this season, in season two, like, what do we expect from season five? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> what about you, Cal? Oh, uh, where do I begin? Uh, let me just begin by saying there's nothing I don't like about this episode. Oh, there's wow. so many. So many things that I like about this um, from, oh, from uh, Giorgio, you know, the, the emperor in disguise from, you know, just everything. But the actress um, and I cannot remember her name. Michelle but that pl- No, no, no. That plays uh, Barnum. Seneca um, Martin Green. Thank you. She just to, after listening to. um Whoopi Goldberg talked this weekend and going back and watching this again after listening to Whoopi's, uh, you know, interview, she just more and more every time I see her, she is just amazing as an actor. And yes, I love this episode. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I wrote this in the article that's on our website, discussing Uh To me to say I love this episode is a huge understatement. I may have squeed several times like a schoolgirl while this episode was going <laughs> yes, on. Yes, yes, So yes. many good parts. I, I'm going to say it how, how our friend Lee Shackover says it. My fist was punching the air at some points. I was so freaking <laughs> fucking happy. Oh, uh, man. It was, it was so good. Of course, there's things you can argue about that maybe eh, you got to stretch the believability just a little bit. But we're talking about people going around in space. So, you know. <laughs> you have to uh, suspend your, your your belief in 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 some portions um to fully grasp what's going on but man i loved this episode so much it felt like i was watching a movie from beginning to end right from from special effects to acting just everything was off the freaking charts so Cal, and can we say, uh, I'm sorry, I, I just want, I know I've said this a couple of times before, but man, and it's just, it's the same with every Star Trek series. Like these actors are yes. amazing. Yes. Like I have yes. not, I mean, even in our worst episodes, the acting was still great. Yeah. Like I yeah. have not seen an example. You can watch different series or different other shows and there's always some great actors and then there's one terrible like not so good part and you okay with that. But as with all Star Trek series, these actors are phenomenal. Yeah. The, the acting in this episode, I totally agree. was just freaking amazing. Amazing. And I, I know we're going to get into to it a little bit deeper, but man, just, just off the charts, uh, as far as the acting goes. Spoilers. 
Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you sprain something. But I know, Cal, you mentioned Emperor Giorgio, so let's go ahead and get right into that. So what are our thoughts as a whole on Emperor Giorgio and the entire shuttle sequence at the beginning of the episode? Thoughts? Mm, the search for Spock continues. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I really I really thought for a moment, are we going to have a mid-season break? And then I realized, oh, wait, this came back in January, so that that probably won't happen. But I was thinking maybe if we're getting 15 episodes after the seventh episode, we have a break and that's when you finally see Spock. But um, I don't know. I was surprised to see her. I, I really thought we were about to see Spock. What about the rest of you guys? I, I was kind of disappointed that it was not because it was Giorgio, but because it wasn't Spock. I, you know, I was like, Oh, I was expecting Spock. So to see Giorgio come out, I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, I Listen, I, so and I get Jeremy, Jeremy and I kind of briefly discussed this before we jumped on about, you know, this becoming the search for Spock and like we're ready to see Spock. But in my opinion, I think like I know this, this overall story arc is kind of like centered around the search for Spock, but I have not found myself saying I'm ready to see Spock. Now, did I expect him to be on that shuttle? Yes, but kind of not because if you remember on the previews when they were showing when Spock makes an appearance, it's after a teleportation. Yeah. So I kind of figured he wouldn't be walking off the shuttle. So I knew it'd be somebody Mm. else. I'm not upset that we haven't seen him yet and it hadn't really bothered me. And I think the showrunners are doing a great job by you know, giving us a lot to feed on and not really worrying about Spock. I, I'm no, I don't. I don't know. Well, I mean, I'm I'm not upset that we haven't seen Spock yet. I'm just kind of annoyed. You know, just just like slightly annoyed. It's like, okay, really? Hmm, I, I could care less. I mean, I know he's going to be there. Yeah, right. And once he shows up, then I think it's just going to kind of be over. Like, okay, <laughs> Spock's here now. What the big build? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it, Spock is part of star trek we know that right and he always will be so i know he's not going to die i know he's not going to get killed off i know he's not going to be a a mirror universe emperor so i mean eventually they're going to get to him and then we're going to move on so i just kind of forgot about it not forgot about i just don't think about it yeah i mean i'm gonna totally agree with you because you know i'm having so much fun on the journey you know it's just like i'm not really just missing them all that much so uh, we'll we'll get him when he get him i guess (laughs) You know, I think the reason we're not really missing, you know, the fact that he's not there is what you just said, Clarence, is we're enjoying the journey because the way they're writing this is not from the perspective of they're searching for Spock and it's all about the search. Yes, they are going to find Spock and that's part of it, but there's so much other stuff going on. This is not just an entire season where they're sole objective is let's find uh spot by the series finale yeah and and not to belabor the point but if it would be different if we had not seen spock in any preview like john just mentioned you know if we haven't seen even a photo of him maybe we would have been a little bit more anticipatory about it you know a little more giddy about it but you know like you said we know nothing's going to happen to him we're going to see him so yeah yeah Good point. We get them. Right. We get them. You know. <laughs> do you think that was intentional or unintentional? I think they were doing it to appease fans early on because they were trying to get right. those faithfuls in the second season. We can see the obvious shift in tone in this season to maybe come to a more traditional Star Trek. So that was something they did early on. I think to appease the fanboys to get them, you know, yeah. get a little more people on board as we go into the second season. Makes sense. Makes yeah. sense. So I can buy that. Real quick, I want to talk about some of the tactics that were used when they were actually pulling in the shuttle. A couple that I may have happened before in Star Trek lore, but I don't really remember. So we talked about this in the pre-show, but the, the torpedo being detonated in close proximity to the shuttle just to knock it off course. I thought that was pretty freaking cool. And also lighting the plasma and the full stop. We've, we've definitely seen lighting of plasma before. 
and venting plasma and lighting it. We've seen that before, but like the full stop to where the ship like flew right past it. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that, that, that was pretty cool. And my thought was, uh, and same way, like you just said, I've always seen it, instances where they've lit the plasma field. Right. But I was like, you know what? No one has ever thought about doing that. <laughs> like, I've always seen it's always a thing. They're running into the nebula cloud or the plasma field to get away from right. us. And then they shoot it and they light up the plasma field and then they turn and go into warp or whatever the case may be. But really, nobody's ever thought about, hey, let's just stop. Yeah. Right. So cool. Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, the detonation off the bow, I've seen that a, quite a few yeah. times, and that's kind of what I expected. Uh, I was It was either going to be that or a tractor beam. Yeah. And, oh, we can't go. I, I can't wait to get into that. Good. Yeah. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. And you even see where they, like, uh, will disable the ship with some, um, you know, targeted phasers and some right. So I guess there's multiple ways you can do it. But I, I love the way they presented it in this episode. So are we surprised Pike is not clued in at all on who the Emperor is? I'm not surprised no. at all. No. I, I kind of assumed that would be the case. Like, I think Burnham knew and Admiral knew, and that's about it. Yeah. Like, I, 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 kinda, I expected that fully. Yeah, but, like, he's such... They've entrusted him to find these signals. He's, like, the top of the food chain, you know? And yeah, but, I mean, does, does he even... Is any other Admiral other than Corn? Well, <laughs> I called the cornhole earlier. That's why Jeremy's like, <laughs> oh god! I didn't even but I mean, I don't think any other admiral really knows other than Admiral Cornwell. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And from a perspective of storyline, it creates that tension, that purpose for the two of them to trust each other. Meaning Pike and. Um, you know, yeah. Michael Barnum. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. And and was there really a reason to, to fill him in? Because I've, I mean, yeah, the, is, it, is it, is it, is it, a, I mean, that's a need to know yeah. basis. I'm sure. And has, has there been a point where he needed to know? And I think the whole purpose of not telling him because they wanted her to like be Giorgio, like right. the yeah. real Captain Giorgio. Yeah. So. Oh man. But it did make for this awesome moment of when she boards a discovery and she is just like taunting Pike and he, he's like trying to be the serious captain guy. And <laughs> and he just has no clue who he's dealing with. None at all. And what makes it great is she's actually able to play it like like oh. she's the real Giorgio, but with that mirror universe emperor twist right yes and, that and, mirror sass yeah and he she still works it off as like that's the regular georgia right that was an awesome interaction and i i have to say i know i've said before in the past that i'm not too fond of georgia's character like uh, i just wasn't a great character to me uh but this mirror georgia i love man she she uh michelle yo is having so much fun with this character man yeah. and it just oozes from every moment she's on screen because it's like she's just having the time of her life and i'm in it i'm in it with her i'm feeling it <laughs> <laughs> i will say it's a bit of book canon i talked about some book canon stuff last week but a bit of book canon uh pike mentions that he remembers captain philippa Giorgio from the academy way back in the day but if you again read the book desperate hours they actually have like an interaction, a pretty substantial interaction in that book. So again, it kind of like makes me mad that they are kind of ignoring the book. <laughs> that is a Star Trek Discovery book. So, wow. So of course everybody hasn't read those, but maybe right. they will address it. Maybe they will address it. But to me, it seems like they're kind of ignoring them. So I don't know. Mm. Could it be that they're, that the omission of that is part of what made Pike suspicious. Hmm. Maybe, but he was the one initiating the remembrance part. So that makes me mm. think they just forgot about, didn't even care. Got you. Yeah. Got you. <laughs> you mentioned sassy a minute ago, Jeremy, what about that interaction between Burnham and George O in the early moments? So I'm having a problem with Giorgio, <laughs> which I think kind of plays a lot into it. And, and, and I was discussing with Jonathan. I'm not sure how to put my finger on it. <laughs> it's not the actress or the character, but it's the delivery of like how like how she says what she says. 
and I'm not sure if it's like the broken English accent or or what, but I have a hard time focusing on the character and not on cringing every time she speaks. Oh, I love <laughs> it, man. I love it. Yeah, me too. Come on, this is Crouching Jar- just, Tiger, Hidden Dragon Woman. No, what's, what's there to not love about it, dude? It, 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 like I said, it's not her. It's the, it's the, you know, I like Michelle Yeoh. I've seen her in some other stuff, and I thought, you know, she was great. And, you know, I like I like the George O character. It's just the way she delivers her lines that just kind of distracts me. Hmm. I don't know. Hmm. See, I, I'm going to go the opposite direction. The way she delivers the lines is part of what captivates me because it is so much of the anti-original Giorgio and it's almost that everything to me that she says is laced with like dripping with sarcasm to some degree yes well I don't think that's necessarily Jeremy's issue I think his issue is just like just on the basis of just how it sounds yeah he just didn't like the way she sounds, her accent, or like I think that's distracting him. Is what we were discussing earlier. Fair, fair enough, fair enough. I guess. Um, now yeah. on the discussion of accents, I just have to say I'm in love with May's accent. Really? Yes, that is so awesome to me. I love that. <laughs> I, I, well, yeah, yeah. We're, we're gonna talk about May because I have some good things to say about her later. Um, but as far as the uh, the interaction between Giorgio and Burnham when she got off the shuttlecraft, like I thought that was done really well. Yeah, it was very very tense, and I was yeah. like, "Is she is she going to pull the trigger? Is she going to look at yes. her like right. what are you doing, Burnham?" <laughs> that was a lot of information for nothing to have been said. Right? Yes. Like we drew a big story from that, and that was awesome. Oh yeah, and that's that's a much as Michael Burnham said, that's a much longer conversation to be had right. later. Yeah. So we see that uh, we see we walk into the ready room. We see Leland waiting there and we know that uh, Section 31 has been mandated also to search for Spock. I'm holding up quotes here. Um, so do we think it's good that Section 31 is on the case? I mean, uh, are we really confident in that? I don't. <laughs> when Section 31 is involved, it's never good. I, I just it never ends. I don't know. I mean, I guess. You know, Section 31 is one of those things where it says the end does justify the means. Like, the process is never good. I think at the end, the result from Section 31 will be good, but this whole process will not be good with them involved. Yeah. I'm just kind of waiting to see what their interest in this is before I could cause. I mean, if it's... I doubt they're looking for the same thing that Pike is looking for. Oh God, no! <laughs> so I'm, I, I'm wanting to know why they're why they're knee deep in this Excellent. as much as they are. Excellent point. They probably know more information that they're letting on. That's a good one. I didn't think about. Wow. <laughs> okay, and for a non storyline point of view, it's an excuse to a keep Giorgio in the in the picture. B have Ash Tyler have a reason to be on the Enterprise, on the Discovery. And uh, third, introduce you to characters that will uh, possibly, potentially, probably are going to, whichever fill in the blank, be in their own series at some point. Right. You know what? I'm going to introduce a fourth one, but after we talk about Ash Tyler. So real quick, let's talk about Ash Tyler drinking the Section 31 Kool-Aid in this episode. Were we surprised he's been indoctrinated so heavily uh, this soon? No. 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 Okay. I think this fits right in. Like, <laughs> right. if, if there was no other way to go, and this. Well, he he seems to have a, a history of being heavily indoctrinated into whatever he does. So this just kind of goes, this just fits with, with Ash Tyler. He's a soldier, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. yeah. And, so it's to uh, be him. <laughs> and I don't even really call it indoctrinated. I take it more so as kind of piggybacking off of what Jeremy just said. It is at the act of convenience, not yeah. the act of indoctrination. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Cal, you mentioned like some of the benefits of, of having Section 31 in this series. Um, I'm going to bring up a point that Eric from uh, Canada brought up. Uh, he sent in some feedback. So shout out to Eric from Canada. Um he brought up the premise of the, let's talk a little bit about the cloak. Let's talk a little bit about the communicator. Um, any thoughts on section one as being this playground for technology that may come somewhere down the line 
in Starfleet's future, but them being Section 31 have access to it, just like, you know, some parts of our government many years before anybody else know it even exists. Thoughts mm-hmm. on that? Well, I mean, you always have that, right? You always have, you know, you're by the time you hear about it, the fact of it already being there means, hey, it's already been out there. Look at the sheep they cloned. It was a full grown sheep before we ever saw it. So, right. you know, so so that just kind of lines up. And who better to test unknown technology than a section or a part of your organization that is, quote unquote, unknown? Yeah, and I, I agree. It's yeah. I, it's really expected from Section Thirty One and through the Trek verse. It's always been Section. Whenever Section Thirty One showed up, they had information no one else had or technology no one else had. Right, and <laughs> that's. But again, like, and I'm sure you agree. But all of these things were the punch in the air with your fist moments yes, for me. Yes, yes, Like, <laughs> I, I rewound that, like, three or four times each time I've seen it. It was entertaining like, watching Jonathan be entertained by that. <laughs> listen, this was, like, I was, I, I, I can, I could describe my excitement about it, like, being excited when we first seen The Defiant on DS9. Yeah. And that. That that was my excitement. Like I, man, that was amazing. That was amazing. That's my new favorite ship. Yeah. Are you talking? Well, the, yeah. The, the the rock cloak is I'm coining it. The rock cloak. I thought that was freaking awesome. But one moment that I didn't even catch. I was so intently in the episode about what was going on. I didn't even notice the communicator thing. The TNG style communicator. The first yeah. time I watched it, it was so quick and so subtle. You know, Pike just gives him this weird look like, what the frack is that? You know? <laughs> well, and he says such. He said, what kind of communicator is that? Yeah. Oh, Pike is, he's so good in this episode. <laughs> he is. The, he's been good in every episode. Yeah. Yes, he has. The, Quickly the, becoming one of my favorite captains. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the look with the communicator, how he looks with, looks at Pike. And then like seconds later to see the rock cloak, decloak. He's just like, what the frack is going on with these guys? <laughs> now, Jeremy had an issue. <laughs> oh, is it about cloak timeline? And we could talk that. No, but I have an issue with that, too. <laughs> okay. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Both Jeremy, of them. what's your issue? <laughs> oh, yeah. So at what point do you not notice this giant rock following your path? <laughs> Without somebody saying, hey, guys, there's an asteroid following us. <laughs> This asteroid is doing warp five. What's going on? Should someone take a picture of it, run a scan, go poke it with a stick? I mean, I guess they had other things to worry about at the time. So I don't know. You want me to explain that? Go for it. Sure. Sure. There is an an actual, I think it was published by IDW, uh, the comic book company, but there is actually a crossover between these two properties in a comic book form. So based on that, I'm going to say that the reason that they had the asteroid and was able to quote unquote cloak as an asteroid is because they have a um, they have commandeered chameleon circuits from TARDISes and that's how they uh, uh, were able to follow yeah. along because there has been a Doctor Who Star Trek crossover. Right. And that's when the, the Borg and the Cybermen started working together and then they turned on each other. Am I, I remember so. that correctly? So well, there you go. You know, That's my explanation. And, and, and I get that. I get how they were able to cloak into an asteroid, but there was an asteroid following the ship. Self awareness. Yeah. Time. You know, so I mean, well, and I understand, you know, it's entertainment for entertainment's sake, but at some point you're going to notice a big rock following you <laughs> at high speeds. Well, I mean, okay, so I kind of can, I can, if I have to draw. <laughs> a conclusion I can say in their defense, like going to kind of along where you're going, I think, Cal, is because, you know, the basis of a cloak in Star Trek is it doesn't necessarily change the appearance. It just puts up a shield that reflects the outside appearance around the ship. Right. So maybe just maybe that there was an asteroid in the area. So. Yeah. They needed to so, look like something in the area and it just happened to be an asteroid there. So maybe they were following the ship and they were just space. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can, right. Okay. So, and, and I can buy that. 
I, I can completely buy that. Now, why do we have to start so far to explain that? I don't know. Yeah. Right. That's because <laughs> Jeremy Fod latches onto something and won't let it go until he has an answer. Jeremy, thanks for ruining a perfectly good scene. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, well, it's okay. <laughs> I'll be okay. And Cal, thanks for trying to make it right. You're welcome, sir. <laughs> Yeah, and again, like the cloak te- cloaking technology may be presenting itself when we don't think it should be in the timeline. But again, this is Section 31. I absolutely love them bringing in like some TN- TNG era tech down in a place where it actually makes sense now. So hopefully they can use Section 31 to maybe show stuff that's coming up, you know, maybe not in, in TOS era, but maybe even in the future. Um, as long as they bring it, you know, within that group, because there, right. there, it actually makes sense. Well, I've always in my head, I've always envisioned technology like this. You know, the technology we get is always a generation or two or more behind what's actually being developed and what's actually being tested right now. So that doesn't surprise me that they're that far advanced because, you know, what we have now is probably so outdated for them that it does them, you know, it's, it's worthless. Right. Yeah. So they just kind of pass it on to the to everybody else one way or another. So I I got a really quick yes or no question before we move on to my next, you know, section of the review. And I have one more technology to talk about after your question. Uh, Does anyone besides me think Leland's days are numbered as head of section 31? Yes. Yes. (laughs) I'm going I'm going to say yes, because I think I mentioned this last time. If you do the reading on Section 31, it's actually run by a computer program that Starfleet created. To, yeah. So, you you know, when Ash hit the communicator and he said control. Yeah. All right. Well, control is the name of actual name of the computer program that Section 31 uses to. It's loosely based off of statistics. Like if they need to recruit someone, this computer program crunches numbers and statistics to tell them if that person will be valuable enough for them to bring on board or you get what I'm saying? So, and the program is called control. And in the books, which I hadn't gotten that far, but in the books, this program actually as any computer program starts to rewrite itself. Because its basis was meant to protect the Federation by any means necessary. And it eventually determines that the Federation needs protection from itself. So it's kind of rebels and takes over. So there's no head person. There's this program. It's kind of like a Hydra. Yeah, Yeah, definitely a premise that's been in science fiction before of the computer going crazy. Hell 9000. So I I definitely get that. (laughs) Um, That's freaking awesome. I didn't know know about that at all. And I actually read a book, uh, Dan Brown's latest book, Origin. I don't know if y'all know who Dan Brown is. He wrote The Da Vinci Code. But um, his latest book actually kind of delves into this sentient computer program rewriting itself to fulfill its original programming. So, I mean, I, I can, I, 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 yeah, I, I can go with that. <laughs> wow. Hmm. So, John, I'm going to direct this question directly to you, sir. Okay. Uh, and it's about the plausible science in this episode as we get off of some technology Uh-oh. that we just talked about. Um, what do you think of the whole cocoon transporter explanation? Does that make sense to you, sir? Uh, no. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no. Absolutely. Listen, I spent way too much time, which wasn't a lot, but I spent too much time trying to make sense of that in my head. And I'm no scientist and I'm definitely not a transporter scientist or engineer, but I just I could not. I mean, I understand what they're saying, but I just can't find it by any reach possible. But you know what? You know what? I'm going to swing this back over to Kyle because we've reviewed the comic books. So, Kyle, do you remember that annual uh, Star Trek Discovery book for 2018 where Stamets showed how he developed the Spore technology? Do you remember like one of the first demos they ever did was? Oh, 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 oh. Didn't they do... Oh, crap. Wasn't it a mouse or something? No, what was it? Yeah, I think it was like a mouse or a frog or something like okay. that. Okay. But, but they actually did a transporter, a transport using spore technology to move a frog to a different location. So 
in that view, to me, this made total sense. I was like, oh, they did it before in a book. You know, there's one book they're adhering to as canon, I guess. <laughs> you know, but, now that you say it like that, I guess it could make sense. I wasn't thinking about it as far as the spores. Like, I guess the way they explained it, the spores were kind of exist in everywhere or like exist everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I guess you could convert matter to the, into a spore and then transport it. I was just, I, listen, I'm just having trouble. And I'm not, again, I'm not a scientist or a physicist, but you, you, you like physical, <laughs> physical matter can't, you can transfer energy through physical matter, but it has to be in direct contact. Like, well, you, you know, mm. I'm, I'm just saying the transporters have the same problem, just the transporters as a, as concept. a technology has this right. concept has right. the same problem right. you're explaining here so right true true you know, to me if you can believe and, in transporters you can believe in this yeah you know? and, and i'll take it one step further if you can wrap up, wrap your head and i'm not meaning you but i'm talking about just the viewers if you can wrap your head around the concept of this spore drive yeah not not only taking you quote unquote to warp drive but taking you like eons you know in distance compared to uh you know in mere seconds if if these things can do that yeah then why couldn't they replicate and we've already got replicators why couldn't they replicate a human body oh that's a whole different story that we're not really yeah. talking about right now <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, you said that, that, the word replicate yeah, and yeah, that's going to be yeah, a whole the, nother the, the debate repli- the replication <laughs> of the body is going to be a whole nother debate which yeah. I really have some issues with but let me give you my science question number two before we move on and that is the half jumps which I guess is kind of the same question do you, do you like believe this half jump one one leg in one leg out of the pool situation they had going here it made for some awesome CG it looked freaking fantastic yeah, but I guess if you believe the spore drive, you can believe that too. Question mark. Uh, I, I, I mean, now that you mention it, thanks, <laughs> G. Uh, it is kind of hard to wrap your mind around. Like, there's a wall <laughs> that you could just go through <laughs> halfway, and that didn't make sense. I, I mean, I accepted it while I watched it, so I didn't have a problem with it till you just said it. <laughs> oh, boy. There was a, actually a Stargate Atlantis episode that dealt with something similar where one of the, the pods was stuck in the gate and you know on one side you know the half of the pod was sticking out one side of the gate in space and the other side had materialized on the other side because in order for it to work you have to enter the whole thing through one end and it'll just come out of the other end you can't just have that one leg in one leg out yeah but i mean at least there was a gate there but they accessed the mycelial network from anywhere so but that's just one of those things where i couldn't focus on that because i was focused on you know, the other little stuff that I tend to focus on. So I just had to let that one slide. <laughs> well, you know, speaking <laughs> of focus, <laughs> uh, did anybody notice that quick glance that Stamets gave as the la- liaison for Section 31 as Tyler entered the bridge? Yes. yes. <laughs> and my exact words was, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> he is going to kill him. <laughs> Oh boy, boy! Listen, uh, before we move on, my most exciting moment was the freaking uh tractor beam technology from the Section Thirty One ship. Mm. And because that any other every tractor beam I've seen has been emitted from a from the a device on right? the ship towards something, but this, in essence, shot like torpedo type things to attach to the ship. And then the tractor beam went back to like physical anchors. Right. Like that to me, that was how many times have you actually seen them like try to tractor something and the beam missed or they moved out the way. Like how hard is it to have like torpedo things that can kind of like track a subject and attach itself and then direct the beams back. Like you're not getting away. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome to me. Like that was freaking awesome. It was like tagging a wild animal yeah. and releasing it back to the wild. We, you, you, we're gonna let you be wild, but we know where you are. We can come get you anytime yeah. we need you. Like that. That was my most exciting. Like I like wow. Have wow. we seen a tractor beam in Discovery before? I can't remember. I, I'm not. I don't remember a specific instance of it, but I think it has been shown before. Maybe. I don't know. Hmm. 
So, so real quick, I want to just again say Anson Mount, Anson Mount was spectacular again as uh, Captain Pike, funny, commanding, and just continues to portray that quintessential thought of a Starfleet captain. You know, I just going to be sad when he leaves. Actually, Whole, wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> yeah, he's right up there with Cisco with me right now. So, who's to say he actually leaves? Yeah, yeah, good point. Good point. I think I've heard rumors online and stuff about him possibly leaving, but you know, I, who knows? And of course, they're under this time crunch, being halfway in the mycelial network. They're under this time crunch of this, uh, of the the hole being eaten away. So again, let's get into the whole mycelial network thing. Uh, Stamets and Burnham go into the mycelial network after this jump. But, you know, let's talk a little bit about Tilly's stellar performance and May, who is really growing on me. You know, the first episode, she was just utterly annoying. But, man, I'm just starting to love her so much. And it makes me sad. <laughs> what, what, are, what are our thoughts of May in this episode? Um, let's say... Let's say it like this. They are, they being the writers behind and directors behind Discovery are doing an excellent job of creating characters upon first viewing, irritate the heck out of you and then turning them into likable characters. Last year for me, it was Tilly. This year it was May. And you're right, Clarence. She is totally going on you, especially when you get to understand a little bit more about the motivations and understanding it's not just you're there to be annoying. You're there because every time you travel along this network, they die. There are people, her kind spores die. So um, tragic character, to be honest with you. Yeah. Which is a part we need to unpack about how these characters actually die so i'm gonna go ahead you, you guys go ahead and talk about may if you want to but then after that maybe you can go ahead and talk about the whole monster quote unquote and this toxin and maybe even the plausibility of how they're actually getting destroyed by this monster i'm gonna look quotes again monster in the mycelial network the whole visual of this scene reminded me of avatar the james cameron movie which was beautiful but i was kind of preoccupied with that because, you know, I, I tend to get preoccupied with these little things that I shouldn't get preoccupied with. But um, I was thinking of Avatar the whole time, that whole scene. <laughs> I, I really was. I was waiting for all these different creatures to pop up, you know, which would have been awesome. Which would have been beautiful to see the, the, the spores manifest in these different creatures. But, you know, that's where my, that's where my brain went. <laughs> what, what, what about you, John? The whole premise of May, this quote unquote monster and this toxin stuff that is polluting the mycelial network. Any thoughts on that? Um, before I say anything else about the the whole network with the monster, why didn't May, like when she first appeared to Tilly, like just say, hey, I'm a spore and we need help. Like we drug this on for a while to get to where we are. And I know it's for story purposes, but. That was kind of my thought. Like she could have like elicited help then and probably would have been a lot easier, you know? Yeah, yeah I totally agree. <laughs> no, I, I would like to take it another direction in the sense of maybe the spore itself had to learn and adapt and be able to communicate in ways that it could understand uh, and then learning because maybe appearing in her subconscious was learning the language, uh, learning good point. Uh, the that, forms of speech, etc. That's true because, you know, they went for the pinky swear and she was uh, like, what are you doing with your little finger? And she didn't <laughs> so, know what tears were. Right. Cal resident Vulcan. You always think. Right. About <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, and as far as the monster thing, I, once I wrapped my head around it, I understood it. So I didn't have a problem with it. Uh, I would, I, I, I kind of hate they made it you. I think they just did that to bring him back. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I, I would have liked to act, see an actual monster that they had to work together to right. defeat. You know what I mean? Like, I understand why it was hurting them and all that, but I just, it just, Seemed like it was one of those things written in to serve a purpose. 
Yeah, Ooh. the the <laughs> my one of my big arguments is like, okay, we figure out or we get the explanation of how Colbert got there. The tear from Colbert while Stamets was in the mycelial induced coma somehow allowed mm. his body to travel to the mycelial network. So my biggest issue maybe is the spores were trying to attack him because he was not of the network, any foreign object. But at the end, he can't go through across the threshold because he's not human. So which one is he? Something that was created in the spore network off of a memory or off of his uh, one long tear? Or was he actually human? I don't think they explained that really well. You kind of just got to believe in the story to just say, okay, it was an interesting story. But to me, if he was, if his body was manifested from the spore network, doesn't, it doesn't seem like the spores should have been attacking him to me. So my understanding was the DNA from the tear was transported to the network and they recreated it based on that DNA. And well, yeah, I guess I get your point where, what are they attacking? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I assume that I understand why he couldn't walk through the little wall because he wasn't human, but his DNA still exists. So the biological transporters could convert the DNA to physical form. Yeah. When he went back to the real network, uh, right. real world. Yeah, that made a lot of sense. But the yeah. only part I don't understand is why were they attacking what they made already? So, yeah, I don't think. While they were created from the the spore reality or wherever that that was, the spores themselves did not create or recreate Culber. It was, in my my understanding, it was Stamets that recreated oh, him. That's a really good point. So he still, whatever he is or whatever whatever he was in the mycelial network, still to them felt like a foreign object that they had Correct. to kill or consume. Correct. That makes sense. Makes sense. Hey, can I can I bring up something that's totally off subject? Go for it. Have we still not got an explanation for the whole Stamets looking in the mirror, seeing a different version of himself? <laughs> um, nope. Did we forget that? <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That still bothers me because, like, I was expecting something interesting from that. Yeah, I guess it could be presumably uh, something to do with the spores. Maybe he was getting an early um, dose of whatever eventually turned him into all psycho with the white eyes. Uh, maybe it was an early onset of that. I guess you could say that. But other than that, I have no idea. Or maybe the mycelial network recreated him in there and he's like the king of the network or something. Could be. He's captain yeah. of the ship. Captain of the ship. Um, I don't know. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I think any other thoughts on that whole sequence before we move on? I think it was very a, a lot to get your head around. But at the same time, I think it made a lot of sense in the context of the show. And, you know, obviously it was a nod to it being on Valentine's Day. It was a very, you know, Stam is getting the love of his life back from the, the upside down. And it was... It, it, <laughs> It, it was very much a love story that they put in there, but I think it really worked in the context of the show. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, can we say uh, kudos to Tilly for her amazing reaction at first? Oh, yes. Tilly acted her butt off, man. Yeah. That's another awesome performance from Mary Wiseman. Agreed. I will not spend another second <laughs> trying to make myself up. I mean, I like awesome. <laughs> yeah, she showed out. <laughs> She showed out, man. Mm, I think, if you don't mind me saying, I think if you want to talk Tilly, uh, well, you may be about to get to this scene, so I'll hold that thought. I mean, also, uh, well, well, you can go ahead, but I'll just say real quick, I thought Colbert had a pretty good performance, too. He's like, no, get away! <laughs> yeah, he was, that was pretty good. He was good, good too. Yeah. Now, uh, when you want to mention Tilly, the, the thing for me that I think was her best scene was the scene at the toward almost the very end between uh, her and Michael Burnham, where she's basically, you know, in their quarters and she's, you know, no longer having to be strong. And that, that to me was part and parcel her best scene for me. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, that was that was strong because I mean at some point you know when is when do you get to stop being strong for everyone? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So she. I mean that was that. I, I'm not an emotional person when I watch TV, but that kind of tug at me a little bit. So did I miss something? At the very at the very like the very end, whenever uh, Tilly and Burnham were in their in their room. And she was crying. Tilly was crying. Michael just came over and hugged her. Yeah. I miss that. Heartless, heartless little man. And, and, <laughs> and then, like, I mean, added to that, I think the the narration over the beginning and the end of the episode made it aided in making this episode feel even more like a movie. Because, yeah, that was awesome. Because they, they bookended it with some awesome narration that I thought just... You know, it, the narration also pulled at your heartstrings. So I'm like, man, they just went all out in this episode. Um, but we have to talk about the end with Admiral Cornwell and the presence of Tachyons with the Red Angel. I know that could lead us in a lot of directions, but does anybody have any thoughts on that? Um, the possibility of time travel. Uh, with this red angel, we already know it's done it because it did it with the um, presumably it did it with the World War Three Church, right? Right, yeah. Um, well, maybe not because it was there for two hundred years, so maybe it didn't do time travel at that time. I don't know. What What are you guys' thoughts on tachyons with this red angel? Any Any theories? You You know, now that you mention it, like these red angels are showing up to help people at the exact right time. Like, what if it's not a godly-like creature? Maybe this is somebody that's know all this stuff that happened in the future and is coming back to stop it, to change something? Yep, yep. Because you could say it was there to save the Hiawatha. Hiawatha. Right. Hiawatha, yeah. And and it was there to save the people from World War III. So, and it saved Burnham. Yep. Mm-hmm. Good Wait, point. Did it, did it save Burnham? Well, I would think like she was stuck or she was maybe not. Maybe it was just watching. Mm, Good point. But 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 in any case, though, any ideas of what it could be or who? I mean, do we think it might be someone or something from some future series of Star Trek that they're kind of tying in with coming back? Uh Ah. Because I, mm. I, I immediately thought, like, what if it's, like, Picard coming back to set some wrongs right? <laughs> Especially if you tie it in with maybe, you know, the very first episode of TNG, where he, the, the human race is put on trial, and Picard has to kind of, like, defend the human race. I'm like, what, right. if, it, what if it has something to do with that? I'm probably totally off base there. Oh, but. oh, 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 oh. Can I take you in another almost same direction, but a little bit further in the future, literally and subjectively as story-wise, instead of tying it into the first episode of TNG, tying it into the first episode of the new Picard series? Hmm. Mm. Yep. Could yeah, be. Makes sense. Yeah. Could be. That makes a lot of sense. Hmm. It's the caretaker's little brother who's doing this. <laughs> right. That's the overtaker. The overtaker. <laughs> or, uh, you know, and it could also be like maybe Michael Burnham, a future Burnham, which is why I so tied deep blue as Spock. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one thing I can't understand. I could have some theories that could possibly be it, but once once you know that it has this ingrained connection to Spock somehow. That kind of throws all of my theories off. So, right. So man, just just an awesome mystery set up for the for the rest of this series. And we still don't know what Michael did to piss Spock off. Yeah. So mm. like, oh. All this and more next time. <laughs> Well, On the next season of G Dragon Ball Season. <laughs> <laughs> Pickle. Oh, anyway. Uh, guys, uh, uh, thank you guys for being on. I'll just go. Anybody else have any thoughts on this episode before we kind of wrap things up here? So I thought Cornwall was dead. Did I miss her mm. resurrecting resurrection or they definitely brought her back in the end of the season. I forgot what happened, but she didn't die. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so didn't she I'll get to- out with um uh, Vulcan coin, not Vulcan coin, um, uh, uh, Klingon coin. 
Okay. Yeah. So I had to go because I actually we actually talked about that earlier. Right. And I went back and looked it up, and it's you know she was on the Katrina ship, and they were trying to escape with a reel, and then they got caught. So she had to pretend like she was breaking away from a reel. And she got knocked unconscious. Lorel dragged her into that room with the dead people. Right, and that's remember. That's where I yeah. last remember. Okay, seeing remember her. they came. I think Ash or somebody came back, and they yep. found her life signs in there. Okay, and that's how they got. Yeah. Okay. She barely made it, <laughs> but she made it. Yeah. Oh, but man. why was she on the shit? Like, like it bothers me. Because I guess I'm used to Section Thirty One. Starfleet's never involved. So why is she on the Section Thirty One ship? Yeah, I was surprised she was on the ship, to be honest. I, I kind of figured, like, she came there later, like a shuttle was on the brought her there later. That's what that was my guess. But, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because we get the mandate for Section 31 and uh, Pike's crew to work together. It looks like okay. Ash Tyler is going to be a permanent liaison to the Discovery. Oh, uh, no, that's cool. Yeah. And so, so I did have one more question about Ash. And uh, we may have already answered this, but he was wearing the Section 31 communicator, but nobody else from Section 31 seems to wear it like he does. So is is it, I guess, because he is a Section 31 liaison, he gets to, like, show his? Like, everybody, everybody, everybody knows he's Section 31, so there's no point in hiding it? Yeah, I think I think uh, Giorgio is just anti. <laughs> she keeps it in her pouch. <laughs> Does Leland have one on? I didn't. I think Leland has one on. Maybe I, I didn't notice. I just I just you know saw him wearing his out and proud. So can, am I the only one think uh, Leland's? What's this? I don't know what the actor's name is, but he's perfect for that. For this, Alan Van Spring. That's it. So I've watched him on. Uh, uh, Shadow Hunters. Have anybody watched that? Never heard of it. I have now. never heard of it. Okay, it's a show that comes on one of these stations that's on AT and T. It's not a normal station, but anyway, it was like a vampire weekend superpower. Anyway, it's a great show that they canceled, unfortunately. But he played the antagonist on this show, but he was freaking awesome in it. Wow! And he's kind of playing the same character here at section 31 heading up section 31 and if he's going to be anything like it was on that show prepare to have a great character added to us yeah free i just looked it up free form is the free form that's, yeah, the, that's the name the of the show. network you're talking about yeah but yeah. now i was just gonna add though i think that Giorgio is exerting her dominance and she kind of took a jab at him a little bit in the episode and, oh, at, yeah. and at the end when he kind of apologizes to Pike, I'm like, oh no, this dude is not going to last long. He is not. George going to run all over him. Yeah. Agreed. True. I hate that because I like his character. I like that guy. Yeah. So guys, we're wrapping up the review of Star Trek Discovery Saints of Imperfection. We're going to go around the horn real quick and see what anybody may be working on or anything they want to talk about, you know, podcast later. Otherwise let's go ahead and start with you, Cal. Uh, for anyone who is listening and is also a doctor who fan, you can check out Clarence myself and our other co-host Lee Shackelford on discussing who at discussing who.com. So there, there you go. Awesome. John, what you working on, man? Podcast later. Otherwise, uh, nothing much. We recorded another episode of JJ Starts Talking last week uh, with you and Carrie as our guest uh, stars, I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Drop the stars. Just guess. Yeah, what stars, man. And we were talking about technology and how it affects us currently and in how it affected us in the past. Uh, so hopefully we'll get that posted here. I'm going to have to do some editing as you told me <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah just cut me out of it man because i know my connection was horrible so if you guys are listening and you like to listen to j&j starts talking you may get a chance to hear what clarence edited out of discovery <laughs> <laughs> the, the the bad audio all right and um jeremy man what do you want to plug like podcast later or otherwise um well, I think Jonathan pretty much covered it with the J and J start talking. I will say, I, I will say this: I was disappointed that Jet Reno was not in this episode because it seemed like a great yes. episode. I wasn't. Yeah, but Sorry. you know what? They and we didn't talk about this, but they managed to to spin a bad B plot in the previous episode into a full fledged awesome episode in this one. 
And one of the things that really jumped out to me now that you mentioned it, Jeremy, is the fact that Jet Reno was just gone. I mean, I expected her to be walking around or something in the episode, but she was just gone completely. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Hmm. She was off chewing gum somewhere. <laughs> oh, covered man. With, she was covering it with duct tape. She was meeting with the chief engineer that we've never seen. Dude, yep. the, the, uh, well, we did get a chief of security in this episode, which is the girl, the lady from, uh, the Enterprise, which I thought was awesome. Yeah. But, but man, uh, go online and look at the number of memes that are out there. Talking about Jet Reno, and they're like, yeah, the, they have like some duct tape on the starship, but like some gum. Oh, this is is great. It's great. <laughs> the Jet Reno memes are running rampant out there. <laughs> I have to take that out. All right, guys, and if you want more of what I'm working on, just go to discussingnetwork.com where you can see all of the podcasts I'm on, and, and also check out techpetition.com, which can be found at t e c h p e d i t i o n dot com. Thank you all for listening. If you want to send in feedback, send that into fans at discussingtrek.com or send it to any of the social media platforms where we're at Discussing Trek. Thank you guys for joining us. And until next time, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe.